0: You're very close to a cold drop there, Lloyd. I'd be careful if I were you. Welcome to the Texas Department of Agriculture and Public Education, the podcast that makes time and space for pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, agrarian concerns, horticulture, and other totally related departments. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again, everyone. Neil Almond.
1: Lovely to be here.
0: And Lloyd Williams Jones. Hello there. Now, we're going to kick off this week's show with a new segment I like to call I'm not crying, it's just been raining on my face. A short salute to our listeners where we can share some of the lovely things members of the Tadape family have had to say about the podcast. And so this one comes from one of our listeners, Tom, and he says, What an amazing episode. This is off the back of the 100th episode. And can I just say that my pedagogy has changed an incredible amount, brackets, and in a good way. And that's honestly mostly down to Tadapé. It's given me fresh ideas, new friendships, and a real sense of what teaching should be and needs to be in 2022. Thank you so much for keeping me challenged and curious about how we can be better. And if you want to help spread the word about the podcast, or just share some of the ways listening has helped you, please do leave a review wherever you listen. Now the focus of this week's episode is going to be support for HLTAs. But first, Chris, what are you reading for?
2: Hey, what are you reading for?
1: Well, it's gonna be um a, a, a bit of a, a lengthy discussion, so apologies in advance. But um I was asked on Twitter recently um what FORI was, F-O-R-I and I knew it was somewhere in the back of my mind. I knew I'd read about it. So I spent the last week kind of diving back into this stuff and was pleased to find that it was something to do with reading. It's fluency orientated reading instruction. And I learned this again from looking at a paper called whole class or small group fluency instruction, a tutorial of four effective approaches by Kuhn 2020. It is a really interesting paper. But I'm not going to talk much about that paper, apart from to say that from it, I was reminded that this fluency orientated reading instruction is a way of introducing pupils to uh, fluency or teaching them fluency in a way that kind of gradually releases responsibility across a week. You start with a text on a Monday, you read it to them, you discuss it. On Tuesday, you do an echo read with the kind of back and forth reading sentence by sentence or couple of sentences by couple of sentences then you do a choral read, and then on the Thursday, they do a partner read, so they really actively do some decoding, and then on Friday, they answer some questions, do a bit of writing, but it's the same text across a week. So I was really interested to learn about this, and then I couldn't help from noticing in this paper that there was something else called Wide foray which I thought, yeah, I vaguely remember this as well. And Wide foray came up when someone said, well, hang on a minute, are kids getting enough experience with different kinds of texts when they do this fori reading, and the answer is probably no, so someone did a version of Fori where they do the first three days, the reading aloud, the echo reading, and the choral reading, and then they do an echo read with two different texts. Now the interesting thing about this to me at least is that this seems to have all the benefits of the other kind of fluency instruction this fori. Without actually asking pupils to do this active decoding themselves, which if you just read that, is probably a little scary because you think, hang on a minute, pupils can develop their fluency without actively decoding. Maybe I've been wasting my time all these years getting pupils to actively do the decoding that they need to do. And it's only when you go back into like the the lineage of where this comes from back to where it was originally came from, that you learn that this foray and wide foray a was aimed at kind of seven and eight year olds so pupils who are potentially already pretty good at decoding and b it, it, it was alongside decoding practice as part of literacy instruction now the only reason i bring this all up is because it reminded me of how important it is not to jump to conclusions from the first time you read a paper because it would be dead easy to learn about something like FORI or wide forry and then say well, kids don't need to do any active decoding. I just can do echo reading and choral reading with them, and that will sort their fluency, that will sort their decoding. I can teach reading like that. In short, it was a nice little reminder, as I say, of how important it is to track the lineage of a paper. So, yeah, thanks for letting me (laughs) expound on that a little bit. Um, Neil, what are you reading for? So I've got
2: two. One is... um... They're both obviously quite serious, but one's more serious than the other. Um, so I'll go for the least serious one, and that is I was as Chris will know, talking interested a lot in morphology and how we can think about morphology instruction in schools and how that can tie in with a bit of vocabulary and a bit of um spelling. So I was doing my uh late night Google searching and came across a paper called Morphological Morphological Structures in Jason Mraz's songs which, you know, it's is, is quite a niche part of uh, uh, research, which I, you know, wasn't expecting to find. So if anyone's interested in this particular song, 87.8 of the words that contained a morpheme were three morphemes. Uh, inflectional morphemes made up 8.5% and derivational morphemes made up 3.7. Um, the more serious uh, bit of research was um, optimizing the efficacy of learning objectives through pre-tests. Pre-tests is something that I've uh, started to have a little bit of obsession with, just because I find it quite interesting that you can test pupils uh, on some knowledge that they don't know yet, that you're about to teach them. And if you give them this pre-test, then research seems to suggest that actually uh, they'll learn better than those who didn't get tested on the information that they're about to teach. And what I really liked about this particular paper was that it talks about learning objectives, which we've talked about on the podcast before. But they've kind of always had a bit of a, a funny relationship with teachers as something that, you know, every lesson has to have a lesson objective and really is there much of a point. Where this one seems to suggest that if you um, provide a lesson objective and a short quiz on what that lesson objective is and don't give it any feedback on that quiz, then kids learn better than those who were just presented with the learning objective but no quiz and those that were presented with a learning objective did a quiz but did get feedback on that quiz so yeah i'm not going to say that i now you know this is going to be a massive change of pedagogy in my uh, in the you know the schools that i kind of work with and support but just found it particularly interesting uh, lloyd what are you reading for
3: so i have been Diving into the riveting world of schools' financial benchmarking tools from the DFE. Quite an interesting little website, actually, and a quite interesting little tool for those of you who haven't come across it. You can compare any schools and any trusts on a benchmarking tool across the country and see all of their spends. You can look at the costs that they spend on staffing, on resourcing. You can literally pick any schools you want, a similar profile look at all the breakdowns of how their finances are spent in schools it's a very very interesting tool just just to look at different schools and look at how people spend their money not um obviously the majority of costs goes uh to to staff wages that's the bulk like over 80 the, percent of the costs of a school go to staff wages and the right it's, it's quite quite i didn't quite appreciate that it was that much quite interesting to see what total the school's total budgets are as well it's part of my MPQH ambition uh it's I'm into sort of the the financial uh and, and sort of recruitment and retention section of the of the course and uh it's the sort of stuff I I'll be honest I really have very little knowledge about and um I'm having to like really like concentrate and reread and go back and sort of look over things and look over the best models for like how to manage schools and financial sort of services in schools and things. But yeah, that's a really interesting little tool, the, the, the financial benchmarking tool. And it's just available to anybody who should wish to look at it. You know, not that I think many people outside of teaching would not that I think many people in teaching would to be quite honest with you. But it's yeah, it's just it was quite interesting. I can see Neil sort of has, has piqued his interest a little bit. I feel like he's gonna be straight on there tonight now and he's You'd lose hours of sleep comparing schools and trusts across the country it's been quite an eye-opener for me that so I, it's not particularly research uh, engaged my, my reading this week but I think you know when looking towards you know training to be a, a head teacher you, you really do need to have an awareness of this stuff and and just how sort of the, the best approaches to to dealing with budgets and to deal with like, was well, quite a complex job actually for a head, you know, like to to manage this stuff and to make sure this stuff goes correctly. And we, you know, no nobody comes into teaching really to be a uh, a financial manager uh, yet. When you, you know, the further up you go, the kind of more onus is put on you to deal with budgets and um, to to manage money and 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 it's it's quite you know it's quite a lot of responsibility. So. Uh it yeah, it quite 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 frankly, it terrifies me, but uh it's uh yeah, something I, I'm gonna keep continue to read about and uh, and further my knowledge uh, about. So uh Kieran, what are you reading for?
0: Yeah, so recently I've been listening to one of the great courses on Audible. You'd think I'd be sponsored by them the amount of times I recommend these, but some really good hinterland. It was Italians before Italy, conflict and competition in the Mediterranean, and it looks at The large city states across—I want to say—thirteen hundreds was sort of really the high point of activity, you know, and up towards when Italian unification became a thing. And so, if you're looking for hinterland around any of your uh, sort of history curricula, you know, you'll—you can't, you know, there are are very few areas with such interesting and dense histories than uh, than that part of the Mediterranean, you know. And a lot of the stuff, although we won't directly teach it. Will have a direct impact on things that you're learning about at some point across school. So yeah, so well we're checking out, and like I say, they're free. A lot of them on Audible, and so you're getting your audiobook a month, and you are getting, you know, access to some of the 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 greatest courses you can ever think. And and if you're from Audible and you're listening, you know, then you feel free to sponsor this podcast because I'm more you... than happy. <laughs> I it's like. Awesome. It's like that Alistair Campbell thing. Oh, do you use WhatsApp? I I also use WhatsApp. <laughs> now, this week, we have a request from either Kofi or Discord, and it's around support we can provide for HLTAs. And I think it makes sense, as always, to start, Neil, with what do we mean by HLTA?
2: So HLTA obviously stands for a higher-level teaching assistant. Uh, I don't want to think of it in terms of hierarchies, but if you wanted to, it sits kind of above a teaching assistant, because they're high level, but they're kind of come underneath the idea of a teacher, but we'll kind of get to that kind of perhaps false dichotomy of what actually happens. Effectively, as far as I'm aware, the legal differences is that um, HLTAs are allowed to uh, look after a class by themselves and, you know, as part of that job spec you can say that a bit of teaching um is totally appropriate whereas with tas it's not unheard of that they get asked to uh, cover classes but really they not that they shouldn't be asked but they 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 could turn around and say no i don't feel comfortable doing that and as a leader you'd have to say fair enough uh hlta you know they can be uh directed to do that and they get a tiny bit about more money for um, the pleasure. In terms of my kind of experiences, um, not much actually. Um, In my current school we kind of only have uh, one HLTA um, who is kind of only used for those kind of cover aspects um, you know in dire emergencies um, which I know is going to be an interesting contrast to um, Lloyd because Lloyd's whole kind of school improvement model uh, relies on their Pretty much the whole workforce being a, well, the, the whole teaching assistant workforce being a HLTA's. Do I come in here?
3: <laughs> I guess yeah. Neil's, I mean Neil's sort of nailed nailed it there in terms of the 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 sort of remit of the role. Uh, I think they were introduced in two thousand and three as part of the workforce reforms uh, in schools, and they also have a set of standards, the HLTA standards. So like teachers have teaching standards, HLTA's also have standards. So I think like. It's probably important to put that out there that there is a set of standards that they need to sort of adhere to in order to meet the quality, the qualifications, and the criteria of the role, sort of thing. So um, that would be the only bit that I add. But like Neil said, it's it's an interesting one. HLTAs. I think we, we'll, we'll probably get into it in a bit. But the, you know, there's, there is there's such a vast array of the ways that HLTAs are viewed in primary schools across the country. Uh, it's quite I think it it makes for quite an interesting discussion tonight because like in some schools they are deemed as like next to teachers and then in other schools it's just not the case um, and everything in between so I think you know some uh, to our listeners like uh, uh, there'll be something in here that you can relate to that somebody explains I should imagine uh, as we go along but um, yeah I think I think like say that probably encompasses the the role and and what what it means to be a, a HLTA.
1: I think an interesting contrast here as well. um Again, speaking just from the experience of one or two secondary schools, is how rarely uh, or how different the role is seemingly in term in terms of what an HLTA does at a primary school and a secondary school. So um my partner, she works with a few HLTAs um in different classes that she works with. And the idea that they would be frequently asked to cover whole classes, to potentially plan, to assess, um, that they might have a bit of PPA in order to undertake um those particular um responsibilities is, is just much less common at least in her school but also with a few other secondary teachers I've spoken to though not unheard of of course that they will um, cover it's just at secondary schools it tends to be the role of a particular like a cover supervisor or something along those lines I think the reality at primary school is that there's been a sense of mission creep I think that COVID has kind of contributed to that as well as and over time we've gone from a situation where HLTAs generally are asked were asked to occasionally cover while taking kind of groups and bits and pieces here or there to the point where I don't think it's that uncommon for an HLTA to be asked to fill in the rest of a a term when a teacher leaves at short notice, or for an HLTA to spend the almost the entirety, if not the entirety of their week teaching whole classes as part of their timetable. I mean, I think a couple of things to note in there is that um, it's Uh, There are qualifications that an HLTA can take. I believe they're kind of level four qualifications, but it's not um, necessary. You don't have to have that qualification in order to fulfil the role. I had a little look online earlier and according to the NEU, um, um, about three quarters of support staff who undertake this kind of uh, the responsibilities that you might usually associate with a supply teacher don't feel like um, there is any difference between what they do and what a supply teacher does, even though of course one is a qualified teacher and one doesn't have such a qualification. I think the key thing here is that if you look into the original um, statement of what an HLTa's responsibilities are supposed to entail, you find that a key phrase in there is the idea is that when it comes to whole classes, it should be short term for whole classes so as soon as hlta's are doing something with whole classes over a long term be it you know be it a half, for a half term or a term covering for a teacher then they are being asked on some level to go beyond um their um stated remit it's worth noting as well that where hlta's are asked to do this in a lot of circumstances it'd be very easy to kind of start blaming schools and school leaders but with budgets the way they are and the way things have progressed over the last decade or so, there are holes and there are gaps in our education system that have been admirably patched up by these people undertaking these roles. And the reality is we kind of recognize that in many schools, HLTAs are de facto cover teachers in effect.
2: I hope, Chris, what we kind of talked about kind of chimes with your experience. I know um, you've talked in the past on the podcast how uh, before you became a teacher, you were a HLTA. So what is it like to be one?
1: Yeah, so well, actually, I took a slightly odd route. I was um qualified teacher for a couple of years. And then on what I thought was my way out of teaching, I was then an HLTA for a, a year and a bit um, at um, a local school. Uh, what was it like? The, well, the first thing to know is that I think the hardest teaching I've ever done, the most challenging teaching I've ever done, was when I was an HLTA. Even though I was a qualified teacher and I've been teaching for a couple of years, the nature of being an HLTA is often that you pick up classes at short notice. You are dealing with lots of different teachers, uh, ways of planning things. It's much more difficult to plan. Sorry, to teach from someone else's planning, but especially if under certain circumstances you are picking up that planning with you know 10 minutes to spare it's also the case that compared to say um supply teaching you are sometimes not viewed by the pupils in the same way as a teacher is viewed because as part of your role as an hlta you will often be working in the classroom alongside a teacher who's taking charge and so then when you take charge of that class the pupils are kind of looking at you as if to say Okay, but when's the real teacher coming back? And I think that's uh, that makes life much more difficult um, for HLTAs under a lot of circumstances. In short, I think it's a really, really difficult job in that it has all the challenges of supply without this sense that you're, you know, a inverted commas, proper teacher. One of the other things that, you know, I remember from it clearly is how quickly I learned stuff. I feel like the time I spent as an HLTA kind of bouncing across different classes taught me. I I think I learned more in that year than I did in the two years prior to that when I had my own single class. I got to see lots of teachers planning. I got to see lots of different pupils, lots of different age ranges. So there are advantages to it. It just happens to be um, a bit of a baptism of fire. But I'd say those are the key things that I took away from it. I think it's particularly challenging if you are being expected to teach a full timetable. The one thing I, or almost a full timetable, one of the things I would say that makes it particularly difficult is often you are expected to teach to the standard of a teacher with all of this short-term things that I've, you know, short-term difficulties that I've mentioned there, but often also you're not necessarily paid to attend staff meetings where professional development's going on. So little routines, how the registers are going to work, which you've been introduced to at a staff meeting, um, how you're gonna teach a certain thing, certain language you're going to use, how you're going to deal with multiplication tables or whatever it might be, often you're picking that up on the fly. And I guess the very last thing to note is often, because you're filling in at short notice, quite often you're covering a class where that teacher would usually have you or someone else to support. And so not only are you covering that class, you are covering it relatively shorthanded compared to um, the usual class teacher. So yeah, the short answer is it's really, really tough to be an HLTA, I'd say.
2: I just asked Chris, um, were you then expected to do uh, like a break, uh, break duty, lunchtime duty as well on kind of like top on all of that as well because I know that's something that I'm kind of conscious of at our school is that when we and I'm saying it's quite rare that we have to deploy the HLTA to cover a class but we're also then quite uh considerate the fact that then she also has like regular there will be other duties that she needs to do as well which means actually she doesn't get much of a break and her lunch is only about half an hour because she has to then you know cover
1: half an hour is that your experience as well yeah well one of the key things was that one of the actually one of the first things I did when I went into a classroom to cover would be I'd ask if there were if there was a, T, a TA or if there was a partner teacher next door I'd go to them and say is it my break duty today because that's one of the first, you you get that wrong you know you only you only need to get that wrong a couple of times before yeah before you realize that that's it's an area where you can't drop the ball I think ideally someone else would cover that because you need as much space mentally as you can find between lessons again i think more than if you were the one to have planned those lessons but yeah generally i was asked to you know cover what it, do whatever duty whatever role that that teacher was in, asked to undertake that day including in some circumstances covering for um the clubs that they might be running after school or at lunchtime
0: that's really interesting and Certainly, I'm going to circle back to some of the points you raise as we go through this conversation, Chris. But I think, Lloyd, I'd be really interested to know, how do you support the development of HLTAs in your school?
3: Okay, so, I mean, you know, Chris has given a sort of more first-hand account there of, of the HLTA job in one setting. Uh, that's one example. Like, there are countless different experiences that HLTAs I think it's worth, and I I know, Chris, you know, you couch with that as well, but there are so many different ways that people experience the HLTA role. I think we can make some generalizations. I do think that there are schools that ask HLTAs to cover whole terms and things like that, which which I would agree, I think, is is too much. It's way too much to be asking of of, of a high-level teaching assistant. We need to look after these people. They are very, very important parts of the school system, I think and they need to be looked after and in order to look after them there's there's, you know there's different facets to that but in terms of from a developmental point of view from from their own professional development for their own professional development and autonomy and their their self-worth within the role as well because that you know that's it that's that's important to them you know um i've actually today done two appraisals for hlta's just today and talking talking to them today you know it's important it matters to them and and so you've got to get this stuff right and there's there's different ways i i think you you can you can do this depending on how many hltas you have in your school like i said we we have a, we have a lot we have five um so you know it's they're an integral part to to how we how we organize our school but th- there are things you can do to to support their their learning and and to to make it so that it's manageable for them as well so that you're not asking them to do this outside of school hours and you're not asking them to do this uh, in their own time or anything, as it happens, we've got some pretty diligent, hardworking HRTAs who who, who do do that because they they are they're very committed and they're very very um, sort of invested in the development of the school as well as themselves. What one thing we do is we we have our same day intervention model in school uh, where we have a twenty minute slot every day where we we use that to keep children up with learning and we use it for both maths and English. Now during that slot, the teacher is uh the teacher's running the uh, session with with a small group of children the, the 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 one of the senior leaders is in the hall delivering an assembly to the to the school um it then gives the hltas a little space and we use that space to to give them professional development so they then I, I run run this on a on a Monday uh, on a weekly basis and it, it it's it's an opportunity for For us to do the things that Chris just mentioned, for us to deliver messages that have just happened in the staff meetings, for us to just say, right, this is what's happening. uh, Yeah, okay, albeit a a more condensed version, perhaps, but they're abreast with what's going on in the school. So that's a really, really um, really important time for them. And they feel part of it. That's another thing is that they feel part of the team because when you talk about the new spelling initiative that you're rolling out, they know what you're talking about because you've 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 done that with them in a more condensed version. Um so, so it's a really important, it's a really important time that for us. Another thing we're looking to consider next year is how we build them into our instructional coaching model. Uh we actually want to, you know, do that as part of uh, of their of their offer, but again, all within the school day, all within that time, that slot, or nothing outside of their hours. Uh, so that they don't feel like they have to take anything home or do anything. Um, but but they still feel valued and they still get in that development. We also film our CPD. Uh, so when we deliver, so like today we did, we like for example, we did a phone session today. Um, we open up Zoom and we share the screen and we press record. Um, so it just, you know, to, to start in a, in a staff meeting. It you know it makes no bones because you're still delivering it, but it's recording, which is which is quite powerful because then it gets saved centrally on our drive and shared out to the whole staff. So if HLTAs want to choose to watch that, and it might be in it might be on a day where they are not in with me doing some training, they can go and watch that. They can watch that for fifteen minutes and twenty minutes if they if they, if they should choose to, or if they want to watch it at home. They can if they that's something they want to do then then the options there for them to do it. It's about giving them choice. It's about giving them the opportunity to pick when they would like to do these things. You know, it's saying, look, I value we value you. We value your professional development. So we're going to look at what mechanisms we can put in place to help so, to support that. So that, that that's another thing that was that was sort of quite quite important. Um, the appraisal process in itself also um, is, is key. Um, you know, really really important, uh, and it's it, it, it sort of. We, we've got to make sure that we give them the same value that we give teachers. So when we set their goals for appraisal, we set them in the same way we t- set our teachers' teacher goals. We go against the standards. We get them to reflect. We use uh, sort of growing great HLTAs, if you will. It, um, we, we look and we pick a, a sort of a, a goal that's based on a model, zooming out. So, you know, all of these things together um, really feed in. And I, and, I, and I think the last thing I'll say before I, before I finish is just it, it, their career pathway as well. When we advertise HLTA's, we also advertise uh, with roots into teaching. So, if they should choose to want want to go into into a teaching role, it's an avenue for them to take as well. So, all of these things creates that culture in your school that values that values the HLTA role. And I think, yeah, that the it's just really important. It's really really important. We we deliver the ECF with them we work through the ECF in those training sessions because it's all there, it's ready to go. It's boxed. And, and they love it. They love knowing about what the current practice is all about and knowing when we're talking about cold calling or we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, wait times and these sorts of things, th- this is all part of something they're experiencing. So they can talk to teachers and they can talk to other practitioners about it. So there's some things there that we do in terms of looking after their, um, their development.
0: I mean, from a practical point of view, I think most schools are either on Microsoft Office or Google. Microsoft Office has an app, which I think most schools get for free, called either Steam or Stream. And essentially, it's a place where you can house those CPD videos and you can control who has access to them. So if you want somewhere you can share them, then if you're a Microsoft Office school, you go there. Google Forms allow you to embed videos in them. And so I did some training with some early years practitioners at my last school and I would have a paragraph response box and I broke down the, what was it, the new the new early learning goals and sort of the changes to mathematics and into small manageable chunks because a lot of the sort of the adults working in nursery and reception weren't necessarily on teacher contracts and couldn't be expected to complete sort of the, the same amount of hours of, um, of training. So I think just from a practical aspect, I definitely want to f- circle back to the instructional coaching because that's where this episode came from. But I wondered, Neil, is there anything that you do differently to Lloyd when supporting your HLTAs?
2: Yeah, not too much just to say. Um, we only have one, we have many TAs, but only one uh, HLTA. So we don't necessarily see a divide in their development. The way that we will run it is that whilst during uh, same day intervention Monday to Thursday where teachers are working with pupils, um, some HLTA's may take some other pupils out and do a few little bits with them, or they're in the assembly uh, kind of supporting uh, and managing uh, some pupils who need that additional support. What we do slightly differently is that on Friday, which is our celebration assembly, which tends to be a little bit longer. That assembly can be about half an hour. Um, teachers go to that one, but H- but our HLTA and our whole TA uh, stuff, um, they do not, and they get their training there. Um, it's quite responsive, depending on the needs of whatever that might be. So we might be thinking about um pastor's perch but in the context of uh the playground for example so taking that idea of you know standing where you can see the most amount of people and be kind of and kind of goes back to kind of what um elliot morgan friend of the show said about um because we have one hlta they can kind of be that conduit and almost like take that lead role in terms of getting that buy-in from TAs that this is something that um, needs to happen but other times so I know our um, reading lead um, right now you know we've done our little walk arounds we've had a look at the interventions we think they can um, tighten up a bit of the reading that um, they're doing with pupils so you know they've had for the last kind of three or four weeks uh, some they've had some per- professional development on uh, how to kind of support in the delivery of the phonics scheme that we use um, and it kind of then gives them the time as well to, you know, make some resources, you know, for that as well. So we ask our TAs to deliver interventions um, and that, that's absolutely fine um, to do. So the HLTA obviously gets that professional development as well. So she might be teaching that whole class some days because of the nature of her role, but obviously the TAs, they themselves, you know, will we'll be doing small little groups or perhaps one-to-one. They get that time for that professional development and as well, that um, resource creation, that, it needs to go
1: into actually making those uh, a reality in terms of supporting hltas just one thing i remember in particular i mean i've made it sound like you know the school i was at weren't supportive at all and it was a real challenge and the second part's true the first part part isn't actually the school were in many ways really supportive of me and one of the things i remember in particular Uh, was an occasion where I was just having a conversation with a head teacher and there was a change of head teacher while I was actually at school and it was a new head teacher who just started and I mentioned that I had um, as part of my role I'd covered for another TA in another classroom who was working one-to-one with a particular student and I just happened to mention how much I liked the maths teaching that I'd seen I said I, I felt like I learned a lot from from watching that and the head teacher immediately came back to me and said well, maybe we can get we can get some more opportunities for you to watch that teacher teach maths. Do you, it, it, do you think that would be beneficial? And I, I thought it was. So that was something I got to do over the course of you know the time that was at that school. Whenever there was an opportunity that kind of that was there, I got to watch this teacher. I got to learn from them. It was a teacher who'd been teaching for like twenty five or thirty years, and everything she did was second nature, and it was. Yeah, it was glorious to watch. But little things like that, just recognising that, just like in some ways, you know, early an early careers teacher or even a you know a fairly experienced teacher, you've got lots to learn, but and you've but you've got this desire to learn, you've got this curiosity, and just assuming that HLTA's also have this kind of sense of curiosity, um is a really Valuable thing to do. Having the chance to watch some really good teachers is great. The other thing I'd note about um, it, and again, I was a qualified teacher at this point, but I still found really valuable was the chance to get in and um, co-plan, and just occasionally the chance to to see how what planning looked like. Um, obviously, very different in term, between Key Stage One and um, Reception, where they have a seem to have a much longer term view as well as a you know day by day kind of reactiveness. So, yeah, planning meetings and getting the chance to see really good teachers was um, key to my development.
0: However challenging it might have been, you didn't decide that you didn't have any t- more energy for education. You came back to your know, whole-class teaching, so something positive must have happened on that journey you know, to encourage you to think, actually, I want to give this a- another go. In terms of your plans for instructional coaching, Lloyd, what I've seen in my career... It's a pretty involved model with a pretty big time commitment. And I'm trying to imagine if I were you, what would I be doing? Would I have to shake everything up? I mean, suppose this could go to the whole way across the group. If you were trying to utilize and, and get the benefits of instructional coaching with all members of them, of staff, what does that look like?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. The, the difficulty, the practical difficulties of instructional coaching and implemented instructional coaching are vast. Um, having implemented it this year, well, sort of a good way now into the implementation of IC in our school with our teaching staff, that's taken a big commitment mechanism-wise in terms of carving out after-school sessions on Wednesday after the, the staff training sessions to protect that time for feedback every other week we'd need to do the same thing with like for us, I'm just thinking out loud. It would have to be the same thing within those SDI slots, but it it would have to be senior leaders doing it, which I'll I'll be honest, I don't know at the minute that I have the capacity to do. So it would have to be a piece of work that I would need to go away and strategically work out. I'm not saying it can't be done. I think it it just needs a lot of thought because you're absolutely right in a sense that, if you don't get those mechanisms in place to protect the routine of instructional coaching it will die on its feet and like that that's coming from a place where we're implementing it where we have protected it and it's still really hard like that's even with a protected space it's still challenging so i say instructional coaching uh for them I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be soon that we would do that with our staff, because we, in terms of our h r t a s not in the rest of our staff, in terms of HLTAs, I think it's something that I would need to look at. Well, we are looking at it, but it's going to be next year, end of next year, potentially. Realistically, you know, we've got to be reasonable about when you plan implementation as well, because like, realistically, otherwise you rush into something. And it falls down because of the reasons you've alluded to. I don't know what others think about.
1: Well, based on what you've said there, uh, I think it's the thing I would note is that you uh, presumably want to have a really solid model with what you're doing with teachers before you then kind of are confident enough to say we can then roll it out to to further staff. I mean, what I might say now might not. <laughs> might not be something that I would advise necessarily. But off the top of my head, if I were an HLTA and someone said, you're going to be doing instructional coaching, but because of the logistical nature of it, it might be less frequent than it is with teachers. I think personally, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think it's something that I would say, yeah, no, I recognize that, there are different time constraints often what I need to do is, is be a bit more flexible in my timetable than a class teacher is and so for that reason firstly it might mean that my instructional coaching is doesn't have this set in stone regular time slot it's just more of a, a commitment that I know what I'm at any given moment I know what I'm working on I've been supported to have a to, to see that modeled and to have the chance to practice that and when that next session exactly comes well you know i i think I'd, i think most hltas would be ready to say i appreciate there's going to be a, a slightly different um flexible way of doing that but at heart the idea of saying we're going to commit to you to your professional development in that way at least on some level is something that i as an hlti would have found attractive at the time and i liked i, I like to think that most hltas would as well
2: yeah, we uh, don't run IC um, at all at um, school that I work in, but we do kind of where possible once every kind of big term um, provide TAs and, and our HLTA to go and observe each other as you kind of, you might have done traditionally where they can, we, as a senior leadership team, we have an idea of uh, the strengths and weaknesses of a, uh, the TAs and the HLTA are uh, in the classrooms. Um, you know, so we can kind of direct certain people to go and see people do certain things particularly well, and they can kind of learn in that kind of way. It's uh, certainly not as structured as um, I see, um, but it's still a kind of a nice way to kind of just support them and kind of make them see that they are, you know, we want them to get better and, you know, we can find a a group of your peers that we can direct you to 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 help you with that
0: yeah i think the that investment is you know is coming across most of the responses you know that investment in the adults who work in our schools making them feel valued because you know quite often when people feel valued they go above and beyond and you know whether the education system relies not too much or not Well, i suppose we'll get to but yeah i can see that and i think yeah a lot of the principles of ic even if we can't create the whole model you know even like you're saying they've been really deliberate and this person is particularly strong in this particular area is you know a reasonably effective thing to ask someone to do or reasonably you know it'll have benefits is it fair to expect hlta's to assimilate lots of similar knowledge to teachers without equal remuneration?
1: Can I dive in on that one? It's, it's a boring answer, but it depends. I mean, it, it really depends. I think under some of the circumstances we've described where someone's covering for very long periods of time, they're expected to plan for a period of time, they have the same kind of safeguarding responsibilities, um, et cetera, et cetera, then it's obviously not fair for them not to be uh, remunerated, at least to the level of um, an unqualified teacher however i while i talk about the difficulties of being an hlta and while i talk about um yeah the challenges that i faced with the caveat that of course this is just one person's experience i was an hlta at one school i don't think that once i was out the school gates there was that same stress as being a class teacher it did not in the end, I knew that someone else was responsible for this class, for their results, for their safety. And as long as I was kind of doing my bit when I was there in front of the kids, then they weren't, it wasn't my class in the same way. So I think there are differences in terms of how it feels and that's in, and just the hours that you're working effectively. So under most circumstances, while I do think, and I'm sure we'd all agree on this, that HLTAs are often underpaid I think it's to say that um, they should automatically receive the same remuneration as a classroom teacher uh, because they're taking on some of that role is probably a, a little bit a little bit pie in the sky it's a little bit out there and at least to someone who has been an HLTA I wouldn't have been expected to be paid the same as someone who has that kind of deep-seated responsibility for that class because in the end as an hlta there is usually for certain things an extent to which you can pass the buck if things get if things get too hot to handle you could just pass it on
2: i was just wondering thinking about um what you were saying chris about long-term short-term obviously you can uh argue for a while on the semantics of what classifies as long-term what classifies as uh as a short term, but let's say long term, anything over than like a half term. If you were to say we have this situation, recruitment is so difficult. What we can do is put you on the the non qualified teacher scale. For we know we're going to need you for at least a term. So for this term, we'll pay you the non qualified teacher uh, entry level. Do you think that would be a a fair kind of stopgap. gap.
3: Yeah, I can say we did that. Um, when I was on paternity leave, we remunerated the uh, one of our TA, HLTAs during my paternity leave. That exact thing, Neil, you, you just said there. So I, I do think, I, I mean, we talk, we were talking two weeks there and we saw that as a long time. So, you know, so that's how we viewed that as too as too long to, you know, like we classed that as that. But I know there's schools there that have no choice and then they end up putting these, you know, HLTAs into positions for like a whole term. I also think like, you know, asking them to do planning and things it, that, I mean, that's a lot, um, you know, and you'd expect potentially a, a teacher to pick up uh, as hard as that is, you know, and potentially SLT to support with planning, uh, support teachers, to deliver plannings, to HLTAs. That's what I think would probably be the best model for that. And if, if it's a short term or in the interim, but yeah, I think, um, I think you I think that's a really really sensible thing that you've said, then like like say we've we've done it. But I think I agree with Chris, you know, that there is this is a difficult question, but like n- n- the short answer really, like I say, no, in a sense that they, there is there's a different set of standards there for HLTAs. And realistically, like again, I'm speaking from my perspective as Chris is speaking from his perspective, and we know there are schools all across the, the land that do it differently and look at look at HLTAs differently when I go into a class at a HLTA, I know they're not a teacher. So I don't apply I don't wouldn't apply the same the exact same standards to that I would to a teacher that I would to a HLTA. And I feel like our staff know that. Um and that's about the culture then in your school and it's about how you develop that culture of trust and that culture of uh safety for them as well that they're actually like you know, we, for example, we have a um, we have our like uh, our, our leaders, our senior leaders, are out on a Wednesday morning, like all of them, like our, our senior leadership team. So our HLTAs are, are for that morning are, are engaged. You know, well, when we walk around, you know, I we know that we take that into account. You know, when when we go into the classrooms and things, so th- th- that it isn't, you know, it isn't the class teacher, like you say, but um, but yeah, Tricksty little question, Mister Mackle, tricksty little question.
1: Yeah I
2: think there are kind of two ways to kind of look at this question um, and again I think that comes down to uh, Kieran or Chris's uh, careful crafting of it. Um, certainly in terms of the the knowledge of what being a teacher uh, is like and all of that, the kind of like the disciplinary side of it for uh, want of a better term, uh, no but I think uh and perhaps i am being uh, too harsh here in which case i'm i'm happy for people to tell me so but i think in terms of subject knowledge particularly in, in math and english uh you know i really do think there should be that expectation there that uh, anyone who is uh, pupil facing uh you know they probably could support that child at a, a year 6 level um so we're kind of fortunate um Again, no purposeful plug here, but all of our um, TAs, HLTAs, have access to complete math CPD. Um, they're not forced to use it by any stretch of the imagination, but should they want to go and have a look at the structures of arithmetic, uh, you know, Kieran has a very nice video uh, that kind of talks them through that. Likewise, we might use some of those, um, that CPD, that um, professional development time um for their own subject knowledge of, you know, this is what a subordinate clause is and a subordinate conjunction. And you know, they can kind of go at the beginning of a sentence, at the uh, end of a sentence, or you can sometimes throw them in between, uh, sandwich them in between uh, a main clause. So I do think uh, subject knowledge wise, particularly for your core, um, I think there kind of is fair to kind of expect that adults who work with children do have a uh, they are at a certain standard where they could teach those children the concepts that they would uh, be taught in school
1: at primary level. Just like a final thing that I, I like to think maybe ties up this question a little bit and kind of links what I said earlier to what Lloyd said and to an extent what Neil said. <clears throat> if we look at the sort of standards of what um, defines an HLTA, at least going back to the 2003 agreement that Lloyd was talking about earlier, alongside this you know short term for whole classes the idea of an hlta is that they are working in effect um under the supervision and guidance of a qualified teacher so at any point even if it isn't like immediately there and then on some level it it isn't kind of that person's class and i think as soon as it becomes like this is your class now even if it's for a week or if it's for a month as soon as it's like this is your class now and when it comes to your guidance and supervision, it's the same as that qualified teacher next door. I think when that's the case, I think really people do need to be remunerated um, in line with you know an unqualified teacher rather than necessarily just as an HLTA. So it's worth going back to these kind of national definitions of what um, the roles entail.
0: So with all that in mind, how can we support HLTAs in their day to day work? What do you reckon, Neil?
2: Like we would support, I think just any you know human being Check in with them. Make sure you when you do the rounds, you say good morning to them as you do your you know five minute walk around before uh, the school day starts. Take an interest in them, have those conversations with them in the in the staff room. You know, try not to. I think as a as a kind of a senior leader, try not to kind of. Uh, and it's you know easy to happen. Um, try to avoid that kind of culture of, you know, all the TAs kind of sit in, in one corner of the staff room and all the teachers sit in the other corner of the staff room. And they very rarely ever shall they mix unless, uh, you know, they have to talk about uh, work and stuff like that. So I think it's really kind of just making sure that, you know, you are kind of seen as one whole team, not, you know, I've got my main part of the team. I've got team A here with my teachers and team B, my TAs, HLTAs, kind of making sure it's all kind of one team. Um, again, you know, um, if you see that they're stressed, um, you know, ask them why, chip in. If they need 20 minutes and you can cover a break duty so that they can, you know, go to the loo. Because that's what, something I've kind of noticed is that, you know, we think teachers like timetables are so strict, We you know, like going to the loo and stuff, like a, teaching assistant hltas you know their gaps are so much smaller than the teachers are certainly in my experience anyway so it's just kind of yeah being human and just you know if they need five ten minutes to you know make a coffee or to you know pop to the loo when it's you know they're on their break duty whatever it is because they you know really can't hold it in just you know no questions asked just do it because you know it's those little kind of things that are going to mean on the rare occasion where and we have had this happen where um, you know, after school club you know, someone's you know gone off sick quite last minute and you do need that last minute cover otherwise you have to call parents and say you know we can't do this they are far more likely to then go yeah okay like i'll no problem like if it's for a day or two like that's fine i think um, you um know, you reap what you sow don't you just from you know treating them like humans
3: there's a couple of things i would, I would probably consider when thinking about day-to-day support for uh HTA. Firstly, send support, make sure they're supported with the send in the room, that they're aware of the provision and the reasonable adjustments that are made for children uh, in the room. Uh, it's really like I can like like literally ruin their day if they don't know and then they end up getting into something with a child that they didn't understand the provision of and then that can cause a whole manner of, of problems for parents and all sorts of kicking back on that. That was, that was my first point. Communication is vital for them. Um, so if they are covering, you know they're covering on a regular slot, make sure it's in advance. We're very, very strict with our teachers in terms of planning and things being sent at least a day in advance. And on that, making sure that the type of cover is reasonable. So if you have got a really difficult lesson, think about where in the sequence in your timetable and it could be, can it be moved, can something be shifted, so that they're not having to deliver something very complex and it ends up then being a bit, being really difficult for them. So I think that's really, really important. I think you need to like centralize your comms. So make sure that, and this is, this is something I've talked to our associates about is like, what's the best way to contact you? If I, if I'm good, if, if I need to cover, what do you want do you want a WhatsApp message, an email, when would you like it? Would you like it the night before? Would you like it on the day early in the morning? Like talk, ask them, talk to them about it. And we, that's what we did, you know, like, and they wanted to know early in the morning in the day, so there wasn't a surprise when they were getting in. You know, and they weren't getting blindsided by a cover if they had to do. Had to do late. That's what's really really important. It's, I I think about really really carefully about balance as well. So if you've got if you have got more than one HLTA, think about the balance. They talk to each other. So like if you are going to give one load to cover and the other one hardly any cover, that they, there's they, they, that's going to annoy someone. So equity and balance. In making sure that that things are fair, it's like like stuff like that it can go, it goes a long way. You know, like that you you communicate that to to staff, and that that they understand the remit of things. Uh, we also make sure that they that, that they don't have a cover duty on the day that they're covering uh, in at lunch. Like I said, we talked about earlier, we give them we give them an hour wherever possible. Like it's a dire straits, of course, but wherever possible, we try and give them an hour for lunch because we say, well, if you if you know if they if they have to do a day cover because someone's sick or something, then that that's the case you know so uh, you know and and there's probably a hundred more things i'm sure chris will add a few more bits as well but they are some really key things that you can do i think to sort of protect those those members of staff because they really like i say they're really important they're they're gold dust They, they 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 are firmly part of the team like neil said so yeah
1: I think the heart of everything I'm about to say, you nailed right at the start there, Lloyd, with the idea of clear communications, because so much of it comes down to knowing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, I think the point about SCND is very well made as well. A few of the bits and pieces related to that. I always appreciated when I was picking up someone else's planning, I recognized that this was clearly like a simplified version of that lesson. That is very, very useful, because if you're picking up someone, this is like, oh, this is the lesson I was going to teach and they've made no attempt to recognize that you don't know these kids you that you are going to teach it slower your uh, formative assessment isn't going to be quite so strong except your you know just your knowledge of where they've come from in the learning journey isn't going to be quite so strong if they haven't made account of that then it's going to be a lot more difficult to teach so that's really useful where possible getting hltas involved a little bit in planning if this is a regular thing so it's um, I remember I worked I uh, for a while I covered um, two days a week in year two and two, um, two sorry two days a week in reception one day a week in year two I was often present if not entirely involved I was certainly present for bits and pieces of the planning so I got a sense of what was going on that was really helpful it sounds like an odd thing to say but it does tie into what you said much earlier in the episode Lloyd the idea of Slightly lowered expectations of what's going to what a lesson's going to look like. If a member of SLT walks in and they see me slightly struggling with trying to explain something or trying to, yeah, get a bit of formative assessment to work with a little bit of behavior, I want them to know in the back of their mind that this isn't my class. I haven't got those exactly the same routines. I don't know where the scissors and the glue sticks are. Everything is that little bit less fluent, everything is that little bit more stressful. So I want them in the back of their mind to. be bearing that in mind that it would look different if this were my class if I knew where everything is but it isn't I think teachers following up on behavior stuff is a really big deal as well so if I've covered a class and a kid has you know given another kid a hard time and there's been something that I've taught had to have a word with that child about and I've mentioned it to the teacher I can tell um when the next time I'm in that class if that if that teacher has followed that up. I can tell whether that teacher has presented us as a united teaching front or whether they've just brushed it under the carpet because it's a little bit more... It's just easier to pretend it didn't happen. Last couple of things, because obviously a lot of what we've talked about today has been related to covering lessons. Obviously, a big part of an HLTA's role a lot of the time is delivering interventions, planning and delivering and and the assessment involved with that. I think where possible, seeing that intervention modelled by whoever whoever's idea it was whoever's read around this whoever really knows it well is a really valuable thing even if it's just once can make a big difference and as part of that if i'm delivering an intervention as an hlta on behalf of say a class teacher if i understand the rationale behind it and what are the active ingredients as it were of that intervention it makes it so much easier to get it right because otherwise you're just following you're following a script or you're following a set of instructions and you don't know which bits you can be a bit looser on and which bits you need to be tight on so that's a big deal when you're dealing with um interventions as well but yeah those would be kind of quite a lot of practical things um that really supported me as an hlta
2: just want to come back on one thing that chris said um at the very beginning where he mentioned uh he'd have a a bit of dumbed down planning sometimes it might be totally appropriate for you to plan a completely different lesson that's out of the sequence if it's time for you if that the lesson was going to be the children were going to do uh you know a, a, a big write as it were and it's time for that extended piece of writing and it's so you know, heads down and for whatever reason you are phil or something happens you just give them something else to do <laughs> because like it, it's not fair for them to kind of juggle that you know kind of performance there that you need that needs to go in to make sure that those lessons are successful for the kids so I honestly think yes where possible kind of if it's appropriate um think about how you might deliver the same lesson in a slightly different way but also in some cases um scrap it and do um something completely different that's going to be far more manageable for the teaching the hlta to do especially if they're not the HLTA that's been in that class as the sequence of learning has been building up so they don't really see what that end of sequence bit of writing is meant to look like um, and also for the fairness on the children as well there you know they've been working hard on it uh, it's only right that you know they have someone there who really understands how to get the most out of them for that particular outcome
0: i think that's going to be really useful for both teachers and for school leaders you know, practical advice on how we can support anyone who is supporting us in sort of what our, our stated aims as, as, as a school might be. Um, so I think that's going to be really useful. All it's said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you. And to everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening.
1: Now don't stop don't press stop recording yet